There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Ania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I'm Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. What's going on, everybody? I'm Isaiah. Normally, you'd hear Mr. Bill Roden hosting the show, but he, Donovan, and Mania are in beautiful Dallas, Texas at the 2018 NFL Draft, so had to step up to the plate today. We've got a great show lined up. So first up, Mr. Roden will speak with former NFL player and current executive vice president of football operations, Troy Vincent, about what players should consider on draft day and why the NFL is partnering with HBCUs. Then, Donovan and Mania will speak on their experience at the drafts. Dang, they're lucky. Some of you may know that there are a week's worth of community events that lead up to the three days of the draft. And Mania and Donovan got to see it all. But first, every week we try to predict, you know, what everybody will be talking about next week. So let's let's see what y'all got this week. I think the story that we're going to be talking about next week is going to be the matchup between the Toronto Raptors and the Cleveland Cavaliers um, in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Um, like I said earlier in previous podcasts, I believe this is the year that LeBron goes down. Um, it's his worst team in a minute, and he goes down versus a good Toronto team, and LeBron goes home and doesn't make it back to the finals. I definitely feel like we're going to be talking about how the Eastern Conference is definitely starting to look more competitive, especially when you're looking at the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, City of Philly is doing so well when it comes to sports right now. You have Villanova already winning the NCAA tournament. The Eagles won a Super Bowl. And I just believe the 76ers have what it takes to really make some noise. I mean, they already made it to the playoffs in the second round, and I think they have a chance of making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that when the dust settles this week, NBA fans will be talking about how the King still has his throne, how LeBron James is still the best player in the universe, and how Cleveland still has Toronto's numbers. You know, for me, I think the number one question on everybody's mind is, will Baker Mayfield be the savior of Cleveland? Everyone knows, you know, their quarterback troubles are well documented. 28 quarterbacks in 19 seasons, I would not wish that on my worst enemy. But, you know, I think Baker may be that guy, man. Anybody that comes into the shoe, completes 77% of their passes for 386 yards with three touchdowns, gets my respect. They earn it. But, I mean, you know, in all serious, guys, uh, Baker has a lot of a lot of grit in him. He's ultra competitive. A lot of people have been comparing him to Johnny Manziel, which I hate. Because they're two totally different personalities. You know, Baker had to grind a lot harder than Johnny Football, in my opinion. I feel like Johnny was kind of 
given the keys to the car without even having his license first, you know. Baker had to walk on at Texas Tech in 2013. Then he transferred to Oklahoma, had to walk on there, earn the starting position, then balled out, won a Heisman Trophy, becoming the first walk-on ever to win a Heisman Trophy. I just think that he's that guy, man. Shout out Cleveland for having a great, great draft this year, man. The NFL Draft is one of the most highly anticipated events for fans, teams, and of course the prospects. The first ever draft took place in Philly in 1936. Nearly eight decades later, it's taking place at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, and over 250,000 people are expected to attend. Before he became the executive vice president of football operations, Troy Vincent was picked 7th overall by the Miami Dolphins in the 1992 draft and won various awards and accolades, including the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. He and Bill sat down in Dallas to talk draft history and the NFL's future. Um, this is Bill Roden. I'm in Dallas, Texas. Uh, my guest is Troy Vincent. He's the executive vice president for football operations for the National Football League. Although that does not begin to to explain the, uh, uh, the the magnitude of what Troy does. Uh, anyway, Troy, listen, man, um, there, there are a number of things I want to cover, but let's go back to um, draft day 1992. Yes, sir. You just finished uh, Great Creek University of Wisconsin. Uh, so take me back to, to your draft day. Uh, we're here in Dallas at draft day, but, man, that was like shucks, man. 26 years ago. Yikes. Man, my daughter was just two years old, I'm sure you. How old was your youngest then? Youngest was uh, wasn't actually born. So you were about to have your first child. Yes. Wow. I think it was early April. All right. So so take us through that thing, man. You're you're you're, you're 26 years ago. You're about to have your first child. You and Tommy were just we were together. Yeah. About to get married. About to get married. So what was so what, what was it like? So man? so that time, 26 years ago, as I reflect, right. and this morning I had an opportunity to spend time with the prospects, mm-hmm. just going over my journey just to share with them the way the draft has evolved. Mm-hmm. At the time, just finished up my, my senior year at the University of Wisconsin, really didn't know any better. <laughs> this was just a means to, this was one part of the process in becoming a pro. The draft, to me, was just a formality. And I was projected to be one through five. Uh, day before the draft, I had actually turned down being the third pick Hmm. Uh, to the Los Angeles Rams. They had called me the night before at the Marriott Marquise where we were all at in New York. York, And I forgot who the GM was at the time, but they had had already did two pre-draft deals with Quentin Corriott and Steve Edman. Linebacker out of Texas A&M and a defensive tackle out of the University of Washington. So I get a call to sign a... A, a pre-draft deal with the Rams at the third pick, and at the time I was representing my, I, I represented myself, okay. almost like Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of storylines mm. around my experience and some of the others, and decided no, thought it was a, and they, the, the pitch from the Rams where you can be the third pick. I didn't care whether I was the first pick or the last pick right. or just an unrestricted free agent. For me, it was a job opportunity, mm. and that was the mindset: get to a club, try out beat one of the nine or ten people that I was competing for a position. So what happened to me? So who advised you? I mean, how, how did you 
how did you get to that aid that needed where you decide not you know to get representation, not to get an agent? I mean, how how would you, how how did you put all this stuff together? Who was sort of in your ear? Well, it, it began. I did interview. Uh, we interviewed five agents at the time. Um, my my godparents, my mother, Coach Alvarez at the time. So we sat down. We selected five. And at the end of the fifth interview, you know, frankly, my grandmother and I would mm. just say the wisdom just said, "You don't. We don't know these people." Mm. So this is grandma. We don't know these people, and you, you're bringing these people into my house who don't know you, who don't know us. Why did you go to college to further your education, <laughs> right. to learn how to count? And then there was the Players Association. So with the union being there to support the player as is they are today with a lot of structure. And today, most of the rookie, there's a rookie wage scale. That's right. So, which, did, which was not, it was not, was, right. was, there was no rookie wage scale right. back in the, the, the early 90s. Right, right, right. So there was less structure. So that meant. So what did that mean? That the fact that there was not that it was like the Wild West. Somewhere? It, it was so typically, the rookies were the ones that controlled the you would say the salary market during that time and hadn't proven themselves. So here you have a guy that was whoever was a top pick. He was setting the salary bar. Wow. During that whole, frankly, from the early two thousands up until. The last draft, the last CBA negotiation where you actually put in, instituted a rookie wage scale. And we just felt like at the time the agent fee was 5%. Why should we give 5% to someone where there's a sliding system? One gets more than two, two gets more than three, and on down the line. And then we can look back at this is where the Players Association comes in and look at previous contracts for people who were selected in those spots right. and that was our that was our take wow so you went in there so so, what, so obviously decided that you didn't is that you didn't want to be in LA or you just didn't necessarily want it you, what didn't you like about that deal I didn't like it what I didn't like about it was that they proposed a five-year deal and the two in front of me signed a four-year deal uh, so for me now I'm hurting the people that was in back of me you had the first the first and the second pick that which was, was who which was uh, Steve Steve Edmond which was a defensive tackle out of the University of Washington he went to the Colts okay and a linebacker oh, yeah, by the yeah, name yeah. of Quentin Coriat yep yep and then you go to the third pick and now you you put an extra year which hurts everybody below you I knew that much so the first two people go go a four year deal and then third goes five what that means you're going to hurt everyone below you Thank you, but no thank you. So they went to Sean Gilbert, hmm. was a D tackle out of Pitt. Oh yeah, yeah. Who ended yeah. up accepting that? Yeah. And uh, he negotiated the deal, and one thing led to another. End up being selected at the seventh pick with right. a couple trades um, and flip flops with Cincinnati and Miami and Green Bay. End up uh, as they would say falling, but to me was selected. It wasn't a fall because there was no expectations outside of what people were thinking on right. their draft boards. All right, so you were the seventh pick, first round. That's the key thing. You were first round pick, seventh round, first round pick. You went to Miami, right? Yes, sir. So just tell me. I mean, but just about the day. I mean. You know, I'm, I'm talking to these kids. I was at the brunch. I mean, the dinner last night for the uh, for the high Price. school coaches mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And so everybody's excited. You know, I mean, everybody's proud. The coaches proud. I'm sure the kids who are. Right. I mean, that has to be the universal connection between even then and now. I mean, 
you, you, you had to be excited. Well, I mean, you had to be excited. We, we were, were you excited? We were, we were happy as a family. We were excited, but we also didn't set false expectations. Just because Troy and my mother and grandparents made that clear, and godparents made it clear that just because Troy was here doesn't mean that he's the neighborhood mm. and, you know, extended family. This was an opportunity for myself um, and family to get a head start in life by terms of salary for a normal 21 or 20, 21-year-old. Play a little bit, bit of ball, make some money, but this was just just because of and that's the ex we didn't have false expectations or create expectations that because Troy was getting this opportunity that the entire community was getting this opportunity right, too. Right. So draft day was a simple day for myself and family. Drafted, did an interview with uh, Mike Gottfrey and and somebody else um you mean this is a media? Uh, yeah, media. media. Get drafted. Paul Tagliabue and I take a picture. Grandparents, mom, back in back in the car because living in Trent, New Jersey, back on the turnpike, getting off Seven A. <laughs> Went back home, had a little meal. The grandparents set up a little meal at the house. Had a couple people over, and it was just on to the next day. There was no other. It was the four of us that came to the draft. Four or five of us that came to the draft. So, what was it like when you got you had your name called? You know, and has has that as you? How many drafts have you been to now uh, as a, as an executive? This is my fifth. Your fifth draft. Okay. You didn't go when you were in the Players Association. No, sir. Huh. Okay. We'll get there. Why not? We had the opportunity to make the club my club rounds as a union rep and as president. I would see those players. Didn't need to come here. That again, that was the way I treated it. Come here, be part of all of the other stuff that's going on. Get in the way. I there was an opportunity for me to make sure I share with with the players uh, what their working rights were. Um, talk a little bit about hours, wages, working conditions, and benefits. I didn't feel like this was the, time, the time and the place to do it. Right. Yes, well, because this is like the, the, the I guess this is sort of like the, the end of like sort of the fairy tale, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is sort of the dream and all that kind of stuff. Did you have that kind of dream? I mean, all the kids you hear almost every the coaches they say, "Oh, this is a dream come true." This is they've dreamt about this since you know tenth grade or whatever. I mean, did, did were you like that? Had you been dreaming about this through when you were in high school through Wisconsin? I mean, was this like a a, a dream with April? 1992, like the culmination of, of, a, of no, a dream? <laughs> it wasn't. Because most, that's where it ends. Right. And the dream is getting there and not getting there and sustaining yourself. So most are dreaming for the arrival. The goal is to get here and perform and sustain yourself. Right. I played one year high school football, earned a scholarship. To me, this was this was just part of the life's journey, and sport was just a a mechanism. Further my education, have someone else pay for my education, whatever God was going to do for me in my life, athletically, that was going to happen regardless of what other people thought or felt. Mm-hmm. So there was no dream. This was part of the formality of what was going to happen, but always was focus was a business. This is a business. Scholarship days are over. <laughs> making sure I kept my circle small and as my as my grandma said after we finished our last 
um, interview with our agent, we're not about to get hoodwinked is the, the term she used. We're not about to get hoodwinked. And I don't know who these people are you bringing into our house, mm. but I don't feel good about who they are. Mm. They don't know you. They don't know us and where they've been the last 20 years of your life. End the story. End the story. End the discussion. <laughs> All right. So, so what? When you walked across the stage and shook Charlie Blue's mm-hmm. hand, it was good. I mean, it was like it was nice. It was everybody clapped. Or, you know, that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. somebody clapped. Right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. Now I'm not. I'm not discounting. It was a good day. Because you know, what are you now? You're forty something. Forty seven. So forty seven. So, so you're. See, we're we're both looking at this day through the prism of being. You're looking. At, you're looking at draft day of 1992. Do not a prison, but you've been through 14 years in the league. You know ups and downs and the whole thing. You see stuff. So I don't know how hard is it to cut through those memories like Wakanda. To cut so I have. I have in, I, so the images is what reminds me. The photos of what I see: mom, grandparents, the neighborhood. When I go back, that celebration. Those memories. I, I still see those photos. Uh, those memories, but I still keep it in perspective. Okay, things have not changed. Okay, you know, and the ability, as I've shared with the prospects, the ability for those who make it and 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 sustain themselves is your ability to stay focused and make sure there's order and disciplining yourself and being a professional. Okay. So what what don't they? What didn't you know in 1992? That you would know, let's say, in another year. In other words, you know, what didn't you know? What did what? It, it, what don't these kids know? Or do they know more? Do they know more now? Oh, they're much. Than, I would than, say than you know. I you would knew? say I would say today, the young students, whether you're an athlete or not, but the the prospects, the class, the information, the availability of information, the commercialism of the of the game. Right has just exploded so but the difference is here most of these young men have seen it from where they come from. if you played the university of alabama the last four years you don't want two national championships right. so you're playing in front of a hundred thousand you've been on the big you don't visit the presidents right. um you don't visit you've been to dc so these institutions uh, the fan base so the fandom they they've seen it so they're much more in high school these kids are playing on Friday night lights. They're playing in front of 20,000, 40,000. What they don't know yet is the business part yeah. of what's you're no longer on scholarship. In the days of what they don't know is the last eight years or seven to eight years as high school and college, it was all about potential. They're now about to enter a week from now. It's all about daily production, mm. and that's a difference. Mm. Potential means hope. Right. This is, it really, I mean, it's, as we know now, it's all a job, even if you're in college, it's a job. But now it's a real job. It's a real job. I mean, it's not, it's not, there's no debate like, you know, you saw Condoleezza Rice yesterday about the, the report. How do we make college basketball? You know, the evils of blah, 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 and should they get paid? Well, that's all well and good, but at this point, it's a job. There's no debate. <laughs> you know, you're measured on production, right? I mean, that, that daily daily production, mm-hmm. and you're also where in college there's 113 of you all, right. 80 what 80, 85, 82 are on scholarship. Once your name is called tonight, 
there's an expectation that you're going to come in. If your name is called today, it's not about you got the potential. It's about you coming in and performing now. Mm. And if not, they will exit you. (laughs) And looking at, you know, weekly, they'll see people on the sideline that's actually working out for their position. (laughs) Weekly. Right. You don't get that in college. Right. Uh, You met with the prospects. Is that what you do? I mean, in your position of director operation, we'll get to how you got that position but what do you do I mean what do you what's your what's your role so, so here the staff is we put on the operational side of the draft mm-hmm. so the, the our primary focus a wonderful team I have some wonderful colleagues that I work with our role is to make sure that the prospects are they get here the families are here it's all about making sure they have a great experience making sure the teams all are aligned the setup the behind the scenes production the college coaches, the high school coaches. And then myself and the commissioner, we have an opportunity. We had a prospect lunch or brunch where we just have casual conversation. How has it been? Mm-hmm. And we ask the question, is there anything that we can do differently to create a better experience? Mm-hmm. But we really want to thank them. It starts with a thank you because they don't have to be here. They made a choice mm-hmm. to come. Uh, we bring our legends back to celebrate them and their families we welcome them into this what we call the brotherhood is a unique fraternity a different fraternity than high school and college and it's really about making sure that we embrace the next generation of stars will will there be anyone here tonight that may have thought they were going to get drafted the first day that may not get drafted the first day that's a possibility and we see that every year and that's why the expectations of and we tell them hey if you get uncomfortable and that happens because as they all sit at the in the green room at the table, there's an expectation based off of what mom, what dad, and what agent, you know, what they've been reading or what somebody in their mock draft have told them where they're going to go and what team. And when it doesn't happen, you start getting nervous, the embarrassment, you know, right. there, there's some embarrassment. But there's a possibility that that made that name. And that's not because they can't play. That's a team need. That may be a trade that's that happens. That, that. that, that's, that's the business that comes along with it. Would you like? I mean, this, this is. I'm wondering. I want to find out one of those kids because I, I was thinking that one of the things that they're talking about for the NBA, but it should be for the NFL too. That if for some reason you you, you left school, let's say you left school as a junior, mm-hmm. and you thought you were going to get picked today, but let's say now you don't get picked here tomorrow. They should. I thought they should have the opportunity. You know what? I think I'm kind of. I think I like to go back to Clemson because I thought I was going to be a first day pick. I'm not right now. You don't have that option to say. You know what? I think I like to go back to Clemson or go back to whatever. Right now, when you're done, you're done. It is. It is something, Bill, that we have considered. We do talk about. There is some some additional discussions that you have to have, and the reason why is typically when that underclassman declares, he's now declaring that he's a professional. And typically, when he declares that he's a professional, he starts taking in professional services. <laughs> right, right. He signed a contract. He may get loans. He may get advancements. When you start getting that, you're you're beyond the student athlete, and you start getting things that the other students um, are not. Right, extra benefits. Yeah, the extra, the extra benefits. So we just have to think through. But we 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 have talked about that. If it doesn't happen, is there a way? Is there a way for? those athletes to return back to school the schools have moved on 
because that changes the scholarship in the roster. Right, because you come uh, back as a coach, well, sorry. And he's already, that <laughs> scholarship, already, yeah, that right. scholarship. So there's a lot of causes and effect that we have mm-hmm. to think through from a timing standpoint because it not only affects the athlete, but it also affects the institution. Yeah. So I guess I have two questions. On, on your draft of April, did you imagine, like, I'm going to play, like, five years, ten years? 12 years, 13 years. I mean, did, you have, did you have an idea of how long you might be doing this? No, sir. It was always one year. Mm-hmm. And I never got ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. One, I was thankful for being there. Two, the plan was always you take it year to year. Mm-hmm. The ups and downs that you see and all the, the other dynamics that can come into place, it was always one year to the next year, even though – first contract was a four-year contract the next one was a six-year contract but it was always I took it year to year I didn't want to set any false expectations I didn't want to spend anything that I hadn't already earned (laughs) right so it was always at the finish that year prepare if I get signed this is what I would make in that next year which has already been negotiated but if I don't I didn't go out in the future and do something that I shouldn't have done it's kind of getting give me an idea of what your sort of your numbers were like your last contract I mean and how did it compare with the numbers now well I like to use the term it was all relative for that time right. so my very my very first contract from out of Miami was a four year contract I was right about six million. Oh wow so four years six million when I went to Philly as a free agent I think it was a five-year 14, like five-year 15, somewhere around, I think, five-year 15 million. Then when I went to Buffalo, it was a, I might have been a four, four four-year, always was around that, towards that tail end, three, three and a half, five million dollars a year. So back then, (laughs) I was always in that that top ten of pay, top five at times, top ten at times um, in terms of salary. But it's all relative. When you look at this year, there wasn't a rookie wage scale when I played, so bonuses were different. Yeah, you just negotiated what that was based off of previous contracts and what the average was. So earn your keep. So that first, you know, you get your first check and, okay, it's money. But money without a plan, it's, it's failure. And, 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 and to me, it was, okay, I can get me a home now. Mm-hmm. I can clean any debt that the intermediate family, whether it's my mother and grandparents, any debt that, that, was, that they had, we was taking care of that. There were car notes. So that was kind of priority, and that's how I saw first check. So I was thinking, I walk in the hotel, you know, and I've you know, been around these things for a long time. And I guess now I'm thinking, you know, you look at the hotel, I said, I wonder who all the people in here I wonder who, how many family members, how many people, like you said at the beginning of the conversation, how people are kind of have expectations that it's, it's not just, you know, John's day. It's, hey, man, it's kind of our day, too. You know, and I'm wondering, is that pressure more now than it was when you were there? Do you think that pressure has always been there, that your success is like, you know? I think it's always been there. It's just amplified more. We see it more. Yeah. Um, with the way television and media is and where everybody's capturing the moment right now. But I think that that expectation, we say set realistic expectations. 
think it's always been there. We just see it more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's fast forward. That, that, that's always fascinating to me, though, just to see, you know, who's there. Because lives do change. Mm-hmm. They could change for the better. They could change for the worse. I mean. So this is what I would say to that. Yeah. And I was thinking about this. is When I actually shared this with my, with my sons this morning, I told them all to get up. Because just based off of what I'm, what, what, you, what they're seeing here too, they're all here. My three boys here because we did a community event early in the week. That what my boys are seeing, one's in college, one's on his way to college, and Tanner's my twelve year old. Hey, I need y'all to get up. We're gonna go. I want to make sure we do breakfast this morning at eight because there's some things I want to make sure that I share with you as a father. And one of those things was this is all a formality, gentlemen, and. The red carpet and all these things are great. But we want to be always, we want to work to be in a decision-making position. Where right now, everyone's thinking about the field of play. When there's so many other opportunities that exist inside of the game. And if that's not handled, the expectations aren't handled right with the parents. As you see, the lobby's full of people. And guess what? The parents, they, they... they should be proud because their kids could be they could be visiting their kids some other place Mm, that's right I'm not just talking about a penitentiary they could be going to a funeral there could be a lot of they could be going to a whole bunch their young men have gotten to a place where at least they're working and they can celebrate them and we should never deny or take that away from a parent that parent has just as much to do, more to do, because no one has loved that kid unconditionally like that mom or dad right. or surrogate mother or father. As we would say, it's not easy raising children today mm. in this environment. And to see our young boys, young men at this level still doing something that they love to do, being paid to do it, no, we do need to celebrate. Right. Uh, part of the reason I'm here is because... Um, there's a program that I help oversee as ESPN, uh, the undefeated, called the Roden Fellows. And it's some kids from uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges. And two of the kids are down here today, uh, Donovan Dooley, Mania Shabazz. And uh, you've been not only gracious with us in terms of a partnership, but you've, had a, you've got, you're in this whole HBCU space. Uh, as part of as part of what you're doing, and I'm just wondering, uh, where did that come from when you were playing? You didn't go to, you know, you went to Wisconsin, didn't go to HBCU, uh, but you've really been very. You, you've decided to be in that HBCU space. You've taken the NFL kind of in the HBCU. How did that evolve during when you when you were a player during your years as player association? How did this idea evolve with you that you were going to? This is sort of where you want to make your make one of your marks. Well, just think about opportunity for all. When we talk about inclusiveness, inclusion, diversity, mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we're creating opportunities for all. And I want to make sure that we, as inside of football operations and national football, that we play our part. When we talk about all inclusive opportunities for all, that the men and women of color have the same opportunities that their counterparts on on job opportunities, internships, so on and so forth. So uh, the HBCs, the historically black colleges and universities, uh, 
young women and, and men at these institutions. We just have to expose them to the world of professional sports. And I think that's all of our responsibilities. And we have to be intentional about that, Bill. Uh, my guest is Troy Vincent. He's the Executive Vice President for Football Operations for the National Football League. Thank you so much. This, this was great. So we're going to take a short break, everybody. When we come back, we'll hear from my fellow fellows, Minnie and Donovan, about their experience at the 2018 draft. Stay tuned, y'all. Welcome back, everybody. You know, Mania and Donovan have been following the careers of NFL draft prospects Brandon Parker and Martez Carter for almost a year. The two got to attend the draft this year, not as journalists, though, but as interns, learning how events like the draft are promoted and executed. They got to attend several different events, from honoring the high school coaches of top prospects to the first round of the draft. Lord only knows how jealous I was. I had three papers due last week. But hey, man, before returning home, they took a few minutes to share the highlights and recap some of their favorite moments. Hello, everyone. Uh, We're the Roden Fellows here coming to you live from Dallas, Texas, um, the home of the 2018 NFL Draft. Uh, I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T State University here at my co-host. Hi, I'm Ania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. You know, for me personally, this is one of the most exciting experiences I've ever had in my life. Just being able to see the culmination of these young men's hard work for their entire lives, to have their dreams come true, you know, right before our very eyes in the AT&T Stadium and, uh, in Dallas. And it's been something great. Um, I saw just the, just to be able to see the happiness and the joy on these players' faces was something that was very fulfilling. Um, but I don't know about you, Mania. What are some of the key points that you had uh, during this draft experience that you want to expound on? Well, Donovan, thank you so much. I really had a great, great time at the NFL draft here. This is my first draft ever attending, and I'll have to say this was one for the books. Thank you to everyone uh, that helped us make this experience so, so, so great. For me, I got to talk about the draft. Uh, the draft itself was one of the most unpredictable drafts I've ever seen in a long time. Uh, I've been watching drafts ever since about 2007, right? It's 2007 now. And honestly, this 2018 draft class was probably the most exciting draft I've seen so far. Unpredictable. Yeah, it was the most exciting and most unpredictable draft I've seen so far. There were many people going places that you never thought they even had a chance to go, you know? And even when you talk about the Brown selection at number four, picking Denzel Ward up, a cornerback that nobody really had on their radar to go that high was also very, was also very unpredictable. Right. Tell them, tell them how you were going through really just hoping that Lamar Jackson would have been picked. Uh, because the Philadelphia Eagles actually had a 32nd pick, obviously, because they were Super Bowl champions. And then, Baltimore Ravens just come in and trade for it. It's coming in and trade for it out of nowhere. I'm walking, I remember I'm walking away from the screen because I'm, I'm realizing that, oh, there's no way that the Eagles, who have Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, both very capable quarterbacks, there's no way they're going to pick Lamar Jackson here. And then Baltimore just comes out the woodwork and just picks up Lamar Jackson. And, um, it's going to be very interesting to see Lamar Jackson in his pro career. I think, um, that what GMs are talking about, uh, that want to make him play wide receiver, I think they're dead wrong. 
Um, I think Lamar Jackson is could be a great quarterback in the NFL. Um, I don't think he's necessarily that polished yet. I think he needs to have some things to work on, as do all the quarterbacks. Definitely. Um, but I think Lamar Jackson could be an impact player and an impact quarterback in this league. And so when you look at this and you look at that, I really like to pick – um, by the Ravens at 32. You're getting him last pick in the draft. You didn't really have to give up much to get him what could be, you know, a franchise player moving forward. So I think it's something that's really, really good for the Ravens. Okay, Donald, what was your favorite moment in the draft? I would have to say my favorite moment of the draft was definitely seeing Ryan Shazier actually walk up and you know, make the 28th pick for the Pittsburgh Steelers, man. And that's something we were talking about somebody that was paralyzed from the waist down only four months ago, literally just getting up and walking there and making the pick for the Steelers. It's something that, you know, we've, we, we rarely see, and it was just a feel good moment for everybody in the draft, you know, but as we exit the car, as we exit the car now, um, I just want to say congrats to all the people selected in the first round of the NFL draft and who will continue to be selected. This is Donovan Mania signing off. Peace out. So that's all the time we have for today's show, guys. Um, before we close out, let's briefly talk underrated prospects. So teams slept on Tom Brady, Antonio Brown, and Shannon Sharp. Shout out Uncle Shannon. All of whom were picked in the sixth round or later. So I want to know from you guys who y'all think will surprise everybody and was the most underrated pick in this year's draft? Um, I actually have a pair of most underrated draft picks. I actually think um, one, Darius Leonard from South Carolina State, and number two, Brandon Parker from North Carolina A&T um, are, very, are two very underrated prospects in this draft. Um, both went relatively high for HBCU prospects, but I think a lot of people are sleeping on their talent and sleeping on their capabilities. Um, you look at somebody like Darius Leonard, who was a two-time MEAC Defensive Player of the Year at the linebacker position, and can is very versatile, has a lot of speed, very hard-hitting. He can do a lot of things for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and you look at somebody like Brandon Parker, who's massive at, you know, 6'7", 309, you know, with long arms that can cover a wide range of space and basically just be a good protector for Derek Carr and that um, Raiders offense, you know, just somebody that can keep Derek Carr upright and allow him to throw to those explosive receivers. So for me, both of those players would be very, very key and be very, very key for those teams moving forward. And I think those are two of the most underrated picks in this draft that nobody's even talking about. I also have a story written on them, so go check it out. Be undefeated. <laughs> Plug. I'm going to have to go with Nick Chubb on this one as the most underrated player in the 2018 draft. I mean, this running back, he was just someone that you thought was going to be a first-round draft pick, but he got picked in the second round by the Browns. I really feel like he'll fit that system because he's a downhill runner, you know? He goes up in the trenches and is definitely not afraid to take a few hits. I think the most underrated pick of this year's draft was Lamar Jackson, uh, the Louisville quarterback, the Heisman Trophy winner, who was drafted by the Baltimore Ravens behind three other quarterbacks, maybe four. But I think, I think that with so much to prove and a great fit in Baltimore, Lamar Jackson may be the gem of this year's draft. So for my most underrated pick in this year's draft, I'm going to have to go with the Steelers' third-round selection of Mason Rudolph from OK State. Big, strong quarterback, huge arm, put up gaudy numbers all three years at OK State, not really uh, that mobile, but 
he really has the unique opportunity to come in and contribute immediately as Big Ben's backup. That position is now held by Landry Jones, who really is not that good. So, yeah, look for Mason Rudolph to come in and contribute immediately. I really also like that the Steelers actually selected his favorite target, James Washington, earlier in the second round. So I really like to see how that relationship develops, you know, at the next level. So, yeah, Mason Rudolph. So that's all the time we have for today, guys. If there's anything you'd like us to cover, or if you want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated, hashtag Rodenfellows. Or you can contact your boy directly. I'm at St. Claude II. That's at S-T-C-L-A-U-D-E-I-I. Um, you can catch your boy at Donovan Doolin. I'm at underscore Mania Shabazz. I'm at W.C. Roden. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by the great Aaron Mathewson. Special thanks to Tarika Foster-Brady and to Kyrie Williams. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as The Plug, The Right Time with Bomani Jones, and Morning Roast by subscribing to the Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another great HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for the soulful the most soulful look at sports and entertainment in the biz. Have a great week, everybody.